0: Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience or physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Welcome, everyone, to the J3U Podcast. With me is co-host Luke Miller. And today, we have a special figure pro guest, Meg sylvester Chelle. Meg, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. Really good. And, thank you.
0: and I redeemed myself from when I had Kubo and I, I said your last name. And I believe I said it correctly. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, not many people know how to how to pronounce it. When I when I took it on, I was thinking, oh, <laughs> will anyone know how to know how to say it? But no, that was perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm more plugged into my Eastern European block of uh, pronunciation.
1: <laughs> Probably better than me. <laughs> God,
0: I, I, I cheated. I actually had to look up a video of like, oh, she said it. I was like, yeah. It. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it's only because I've been told off so many times from him and his family that I have to get it right.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, if that's your last name, you can't you can't say it wrong. You know? No,
1: oh, no, not. definitely not.
0: I think I've said my own last name wrong because I say Jew It, and it's I think it's Jew Et. But Wait, hey, well, I'm 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 the only one that can threaten myself. So right. say how I want. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Meg, uh, you've you've, uh, you've made some phenomenal progress over this this past off season course, and so that's what I want to really chat on today. Things that the big takeaways that you've you've made, and this is your first time on the podcast, so yes. we can uh, dive, dive into. You know, I, I know. For your background, you have a pretty cool background because you were like an Olympic level diver, yeah, as a child, which yeah. is competitive athletics throughout. And then, um, your pro card was was it two years ago, three years ago, four, four, four yeah, four, okay, four. yeah,
1: yeah, three years ago, yeah, yeah.
0: Same as- so, you've had this like very competitive background for a while, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I know. Like, as turning that into a child, it has to be like you're ex- extremely disciplined. I would imagine in in all those areas, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think from my my mom and dad have always been very regimented. They've they've never they've never been very sporty, but from from a kind of English working family background, not from a very kind of wealthy upbringing, should we say? working hard's pushed into you from the, the moment you come into the world and you're able to speak. So I think that also the area that I'm from doesn't have the best reputation. So my mum and dad tried to push me into something that wasn't obviously the wrong path. So that's where gymnastics, dancing, diving, all came through. Um, but yeah, I think that from the athlete mindset that i've had obviously since being six when i when i started diving obviously it was very easy to then transition into bodybuilding because nothing really really changed food was still a big focus of not eating too much so that you could make sure you look good so it's never really been from a mindset perspective anything that i've ever really struggled with
0: do you do you think with that because actually like you know i I did athletics, you know, all, all throughout since I was a kid mm-hmm. and, uh, I would, I would train hard, work hard, um, anything I knew I needed to do to get better, I would do it. Right. But getting into bodybuilding, I, I would carry those out, but it's still, there was this lag of progress to be made. I don't know if it was more so of just, Hey, you just got to learn this new sport. if you want to call it? Um, yeah, or, or if it's, uh, you know, still, uh, there was still more to be brought out within being more disciplined. Um, What would you say for, for yourself?
1: I would say that I'm definitely a lot more disciplined as a bodybuilder than I was. It's really hard to say. It's very different. It's very different because obviously food was still a big focus point of, had to eat certain things had to eat certain meal times was training at certain times had pre and post workout for all the different training times that we had throughout the day so nothing's really changed from that aspect but in terms of kind of having a a social life and being able to go out and see friends on a weekend i would say that it the balance was allowed a little bit more back then Mm. than it is now i think that and everybody can have their own opinion I don't think that there's too much of a balance that you can have within bodybuilding if you actually do want to make progress and if you do want to become great I'm sure that there's lots of people who possibly can but for me trialing how I used to be when I was diving and still had that balance with with social life and kind of compared to now when I'm probably making the the most progress I, I definitely don't really have too much balance but i'm okay with that i enjoy it so i think that that's that is slightly different yeah
0: okay so that's that's like the first takeaway get rid of your balance (laughs) i will just say, right be an extremist no but uh, really if you look at any like high level elite level um, athletes there is a bit of extreme and and kind of lack of balance you just have to put that much time into it so would you say that was the big shift just uh would you what time did you say that like when you turn pro was there a lag time when you realize like you know listen I can't do these other other aspects I'm doing social wise and then then progress clicked more or um... yeah
1: the biggest the biggest change was probably the the 2020 um off season obviously we'd gone through the the big lockdown here in the UK and literally nothing was open so we couldn't do anything so literally for that entire off season, it was literally just bodybuilding, bodybuilding, bodybuilding. We were getting nailed really hard on our training costs. My training was absolutely horrendous before, um, as as well as obviously not really being able to go out and eat all the different things that we would probably eat before. So that was probably the biggest shift. And that was kind of a, a probably a, a, a big check for me and Cuba to, to show that we can't really do all of these things and expect to make the progress that we want, because as much as I wasn't competitive in 2021, the progress that I managed to make from my 2020 season to my 2021 season was still a really big jump. And that was just the difference. I literally just lived and breathed bodybuilding through and through to the point where there wasn't really that balance there anymore, but that's okay. And I guess kind of did have that with diving when I was a little girl we would still have this thing called a two-week period of being able to do what we want but I we weren't allowed to go on girls holidays we weren't allowed to have the balance so we went out and go we weren't allowed to go out and drink we were given a kind of what's it called like a contract to sign to say that we wouldn't do those things otherwise we'd have our funding pulled um, and obviously at that time I was I wasn't able to work because I was having to dive pretty much all day every day so if i got my funding pool they wouldn't be able to afford to be able to be an athlete so i think there's always been that but that was the real shift with it within bodybuilding for me
0: do you think like what's what's an example of like the the balance change and maybe this is even with client look like One, one thing that comes to my mind is that i uh used to have plans that i would always have like take one cheat meal per week. And there wasn't any instructions to it. It was just, have at it, you know? And uh, how that was interpreted is kind of different by everyone. And I had some seasons where like, I would eat these things and my weight would like skyrocket. And then it would just stick the rest of the week. I felt like I was having to just eat less food all week to make up for that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what things like that from that balance or maybe shift it, or that you see people making the mistakes on
1: So a big thing for me was drinking, so when I finished, when I finished diving, I obviously went to university, and enjoyed drinking, enjoyed going out with my friends, Um, and that was something that I did on a Friday, Saturday night, without a question, that was something that completely changed from that 2020 season, it wasn't When I, when I got into bodybuilding properly, kind of 2018, when that kind of started shining through, I didn't go out as frequently, but definitely during my off season, it was still something that would happen at least every three, three to four weeks, whereas then that completely changed. And then the food was definitely a a massive shift. I think both myself and Cuba can say that when we first got together, the first four years of our relationships, like when we were having the off plan meals each week, it definitely was more of a feast. Like we'd go out for food, we'd then go back to Cuba's mums and, and have all the different pearlish treats that, that she was making or that we'd buy from the shop. Whereas now we'll have an, an off plan meal, we'll take out a couple of meals, have something like sushi or, or, or grilled foods and that's it and I don't really see too much weight gain and I'm able to push my actual base foods of of, of raw good foods much more as well because I used to eat also in my, in my planned foods a little bit more of like the squares bars that we have here in the uk like things that are a bit more sugary sugary based not quite raw raw foods whereas i do now and definitely see much more progress since that's happened too
2: as a as a coach do you feel like that's translating into your clientele very well because i i I think that there's a big role that you play within like being an example for people and i think that that carries over in in many aspects right like your training style you see a lot of people kind of emulating that even like the day-to-day habits, especially when you and Kuba started doing the content around like the morning routine and all that kind of stuff. Like, do you see that ability for you to kind of keep that click on translate into that clientele a little bit easier because you have that communication line of an example that's being set?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I first started coaching, because I didn't start coaching until, uh, 2020, I think it was, um, a lot of my clients were very much lifestyle based. And obviously I was probably able to relate to that a little bit more back then because my foods were probably a little bit more lenient. Mm. Whereas now, because I have that push obviously very active on socials and YouTube around the things that I have, it definitely does translate to my clients. And I think that they also know what I expect as a coach because of that. And because they've seen the progress that I make, probably want to like you say emulate what i'm doing for themselves so they probably try to be a little bit more that way
0: yeah coaching definitely switches the standard right like
1: now okay. you
0: have all these people that are, are watching like if you can't do it does anyone else going to or you know put that expectation on someone else when you can't even execute it so yeah. i think that's huge um on, on the food piece like when you and people are having like these like kind of untracked meals when you do have it. Is that something that's now gone to like a intuitive eating? Like you just know how to moderate and then you can see the response like, okay, that was acceptable. Or are you actually tracking the, the macros and calories to account on for the week? How, how do y'all manage that?
1: I'd say that we're, 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 we're pretty boring now in that we actually go we actually go to the same restaurant order the, the the platter of sushi that we actually get is either called the meg platter or the kuba platter so we we know we know the response that we get from that and that's literally and we always make sure that it's on a rest day so that there's a certain amount of calories that have been pulled out from that day and then it's the same meal that obviously then comes through on the off pan and exactly the same see about a a half a kilo to a 0.7 rise and then over the next day it tends to drift off again
0: how do you manage that for clients that want that freedom and but still need some order
1: i'm i'm very honest in what i do and because they tend to ask what it is that i do and why i don't see such a rise because i'm very honest I, i do a lot of client zoom calls in that I share my screen within my check-ins to explain kind of what I expect my athletes to be like. I don't expect them to all be like me, to all be as regimented or as serious as me, but to try and explain or, or guide them in the sense that they can understand swapping things and foods being different, but giving you the same kind of feedback. And I think that lots of people do struggle with that. They don't understand that a certain amount of potatoes or a certain amount of rice is going to equate to the same thing. And I think people actually understanding that they can go somewhere, socialise and it not have to be all around food. I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I find with coaching and, and probably myself when I, when I first initially started bodybuilding, I've been brought up in an environment, in a family environment where food is everything. Food is how you celebrate, food is how you deal with sorrow whereas it's obviously not and especially as a bodybuilder it's there to to fuel you so you have to I'm I'm, I'm trying to pass that on to my clients
0: also that's uh and that can be a tough one I think because it brings my mind to your off season really starts post-show and I think that's where a lot of people can kind of really flip the switch and get productive but at the same time man it can lead some people to quickly lose runway in the yeah, off season right so um any any strategies that sh- you found to manage that post-show window for people they're like hey I, I I'm very really driven to eat um I want I need I want to do these things but how do I also not turn into like a marshmallow in a week right
1: I think trying not to put a lot of pressure on them and trying well for, for me personally with the people that I work with I try to support them in a way that they don't think that per show is gonna be a massive deal. Because I think that when people build it up in their head to be a, a massive issue and something that they're gonna struggle with massively because people speak about it all over Instagram with it being a, a real serious kind of mind boggle, I think that that makes it worse than what it is. When it comes to myself per show, my first per show was horrendous. I think I put on 10 kilos in about five days because I just literally couldn't stop eating. Whereas now I think because within my actual calories and my day-to-day foods, we have such a, a wide variety of vegetables, different carbohydrates, different proteins, even all the way through to the end of prep. I think that I find that per show, sure, I don't have that want so much for everything because I've already got a little bit of everything there anyway. I just want more volume. And I try to put that within my clients or people that message me on Instagram that ask for help on on a female perspective. I try to explain that that's something that I've definitely changed, or both myself and Cooper have definitely changed over the past three years. And we found that the, the change per show is just very different. And I think that when you get within bodybuilding and that desire to want to be great outweighs the fact that you are hungry. I think it allows you to be able to control that per shirt eating so much more anyway.
0: Yeah. And, and isn't that true? Because you'll have someone that does one show and if there's another show scheduled. Yeah. Th- they can stay on plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, but if there's not, then forget it. It's like, so this definitely is a, a mental thing about, I think, setting your goals before you hit that first show of what needs to happen. Like you already have the next year kind of somewhat planned. And that's usually how I, have it as well. I think that can help keep you on track. And I think the other good takeaway too, is like, it's okay to drive up protein and veggies uh, post-show, even if it doesn't make sense as much, like we can't yeah. go over, you know, one gram per pound of body weight for proteins. Like if you need to push up there that's going to help with appetite and satiety. like that's fine for a few weeks, yeah. you know,
1: um, especially if they're going to feel a little bit less hunger.
0: Yeah. And, and be adhered. That's the big thing. The most successful diet is one you can be adhered okay. and, and sustainable with 100%. So so for you um, so you had a successful post show that was a, a big piece to it so you're yeah. starting your off season off really productively and and you said something earlier when you were in lockdown that training was horrendous and that yeah. stood out yeah. stood out to me so i was like wow what what was the shift from going from horrendous to um, to improved training
1: so Obviously, both myself and Cuba are sponsored by Jordan here in the UK. And Cuba and me had a conversation with Jordan within the 2020 season to say how we want to be able to just take our physiques to that next level. And he basically said, we need to address your training because it's horrendous. So (laughs) between obviously Jordan, myself, kuba now luke as well who has a massive input onto onto kuba's training as well have just obviously completely transformed it like you wouldn't even be able to tell that my lap pull down would have been a lap pull down mm. my rdls were basically more of a squat movement than than anything else my leg presses were more a knee bend like there was a lot of weight but there was no intent there was no you could you could see that it was just joint or momentum or anything that was moving the weight from a to b rather than actually using the muscle that was supposed to be intended for that exercise so that was definitely the the one of the biggest shifts in progress because i'm not a lady who pushes assistance i'm not a a woman who's willing to push assistance because for me life purse bodybuilding is definitely very important me, I would like to have children, I would like to still sound like a lady, I would still like to look like a lady. So for me, I, I didn't want to go down the route of pushing things very hard to be able to make the progress, which I do think that a lot of people do. So for me, it needed to be something it needed to be something else and I do find that the the food shift like we spoke about and the training shift and just getting stronger with that getting better at that doing that over and over again has just allowed for me to be able to set a foundation for which everything's in such a good synergy that I just feel good and I think that when I feel good and when I feel happy and when things just feel great more
2: progress comes for me. Do you you feel like that like learner's mentality has played a large portion into that because just from an outsider looking in like every time I was I've been around you guys or had conversations with you guys it didn't matter who you were discussing training with there was always an open ear to maybe this person has something to add value um, within that and that willingness to learn as an athlete has not only translated to your athlete process but obviously impacted the people that you coach but that that mindset of even though I'm the athlete, I still need to learn this for myself, translating into that training.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think being a, a, it's quite funny, actually, I've just done a post about it. Um, The, I think being a closed book within, within bodybuilding is, is, is something that lots of, especially within the UK, I'm not too sure if that's like that worldwide, but everybody's in a very little box. Everybody has the old school bodybuilding mentality of, of kind of what it looks like on Generation Iron, et cetera, that, that that's how bodybuilding needs to be to be able to be progressive with the training, et cetera. And for me, doing it that way never brought any results. Whereas anybody and everybody that I've ever trained alongside or being able to be in the kind of, being able to be around, I've always asked questions. I make sure that if somebody's talking I'm listening I make sure that if somebody's demonstrating something I try it for myself if it doesn't feel good or if it doesn't look right for me I change it and I make sure it's better I try to make sure that I'm, I'm further educating myself through obviously Kuba's input through watching lots of different YouTubes including yourselves um um making sure that I'm kind of getting educated I I'm starting to do some of the prescript stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Just making sure that I've got so many different strings to be able to create a bow that I can delve into so many different avenues that if something just doesn't work for me, that I can work down a different avenue. So, yeah, definitely. I think that making sure that you're open to all ideas because something might work for one person, something might not, something might work for me, something might not work for Cuba. And I think that that's the way in which I've always continue to get better in anything that i've done
0: it's it is interesting what you said about it. you know because I, I think what you say like is it like that in, in the u.s and i think it's somewhat like that everywhere. i think we do as a whole um we want to form community uh yeah. with those that we're around and i think we can get dogmatic in anything i mean look mm-hmm. at Religion or politics, yeah. whether you're high volume or low volume. And, and, and maybe you had an o- open mind and then went to like, I'm evidence based and now I do high volume. And all of a sudden you're super dogmatic, extreme high volume. Mm-hmm. It's like people just like shift in these directions. So it's, I think it's, uh, I think it applies everywhere. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it crosses over. So
1: yeah. And I think that sometimes if you see someone making progress, I think it's great to try it. But if it just doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work for you.
0: No, that's, that's a good one. Like if you, if you've been high volume, like just do some low volume or whatever, whatever plan it is, like you might have something that you can, you can take away from it. And there's yeah. like someone like, like you had said, Mike, like what someone is enjoying and having fun with, that might be the plan that they're going to make the most progress on. Yeah. And I've tried to like take deadlifts away from someone and they're like, I love to deadlift and like that's <laughs> their, their <laughs> funnest day, right? Well, like hell, whatever, go deadlifting, you know? Um, Having the
1: enjoyment pieces is important. Yeah, I agree. I think it was the same. I used when I used to do bikini, I used to hate the training. I hated it. I hated it with a passion. And for the first two years of me competing, the the, the person who was coaching me saying, no, you're definitely bikini. You need to, you need to do bikini, bikini this, bikini that. I nearly stopped bodybuilding at the start of 2018 because I literally hated going into the gym, training the way that I was having to do for, for that class since obviously having that shift, things are very different. So I do think that enjoyment's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And so for, for figure training, obviously you're talking about getting more accurate in your set. So the, the muscles you you intend to train, they need to be with intention in, in the exercise patterns, um, for figure, like, I guess you probably had an area of emphasis, correct that you were trying to work on or were you overall or
1: it, it was it was overall it's actually quite funny because my biggest weak point and, and probably up until this year as well was my glutes and hamstrings which is mad because I did bikini, bikini and I won't yeah. have <laughs> um, but uh, when I when I shifted over the 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 biggest the best thing on my physique has always been my quads um even even when I was bikini um but definitely it, it was a it was an overall thing that I needed to bring up everything, but over the past 12 months, definitely the glutes and hams.
0: Yeah, I thought about diving into split design and stuff, but honestly, like, it, it, it only applies almost to you, you know? Um, yeah. But what I wanted to bring up was also how maybe your mind shift has shifted on, um, like, training effort. And because even the background that I came from, I was like powerlifting, so I knew how to grind all the way to failure, DC training, like these high, high efforts, but I, I, I was inaccurate, it yeah. was too much, right, um, and I know in the UK there's a big influence with like very, very high efforts, so have you seen any shifts within your own training on where it, where on the spectrum of effort as far as you know, your relative effort of how hard you're trying in your sets, how close to failure you're going has that changed at all over these past couple of years
1: yeah so when when I first started bodybuilding do you know what when I first started bodybuilding I actually probably trained better than midway through my bodybuilding (laughs) because from diving everything was very accurate everything had to be done precisely everything had to be done well it was lots of it was plyometrics but we did have strength and conditioning coaches that did make sure that the form breakdown everything was done properly and then moving over to some coaches things slightly changed of, of how things needed to be done and I thought that that was the way in which bodybuilding you, you had to make most progress um but yeah the like yourself the kind of effort has always been there The being able to train to failure has always been there because I don't mind pushing past that point of being uncomfortable and, and I never have otherwise I wouldn't have thrown myself off a 10 meter platform to sometimes completely splatter myself into the water in not a very comfortable way. Um, But yeah, with, with, with bodybuilding since, since 2020, definitely kind of training to mechanical failure has, has definitely been something that's been focused upon to make sure that the, that each set's just, it's done with, the the right effort the right intent everything is is done in in the right way to make sure that when I leave the session I've I've worked that muscle and not the entirety of my body.
0: So, so the belief in like leaving reps on the table, that's not something that's done. No. <laughs> Why do you laugh? <laughs>
1: because it, it's because it's so they, outlandish.
0: It's just.
1: <laughs> 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 it's just there's a big debate in the UK around reps in reserve okay. and obviously training to failure. And I think that there's a real time and place for not pushing yourself to 100% failure. If you're recovering from an injury, if you're trying to reset your fatigue and obviously wanting to go through your, the devolume process, etc., hundred percent, let's not, not push it to that. But Regardless of whether you're training high or low volume, and the people that have been appreciative to be around, that are obviously at a high level, whether they're training high or low volume, that kind of push into failure has always been there. And I think that you can see it, you can see it in their their muscle when when someone's got that grit and determination, like that dry hard muscle regardless of what class they're in is just there and I think that that's sometimes the difference between someone who doesn't 100% train to failure but that's just my personal opinion um but yeah I I, I think training to failure is is king
0: Nope. Yep. Well, that's uh you know it it's the thing about some people don't have that mentally programmed in them you know no. we're I think, especially like athletic backgrounds seem to have something different wiring. Yeah. I think maybe before even that, just as a kid, you're just wired to like, want to go all out on things. Um, But some people like are terrified. I've had people that are like scared to go training and like the anxiety is so high and it it just, they end up burning out and it's just not for them. And hey, there's a program for you, you know, out there. Um, I think that there
1: is a program for everybody, I agree. I think that bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding at a high level is not for everybody. I think that lots of people, I think it's a, it's, it used to be a very niche thing. And I'm not going to be one of those people because I'm not old enough to be able to say bodybuilding used to be better five years ago. Cause I'm, I basically started bodybuilding five, six years ago, but it's definitely used to be very niche. Whereas lots of people try to do it now and they don't tend to do it for a very long time because it, it takes a lot of effort to be able to get where you want to be. It takes a lot of in, in, intrinsic drive to be able to get where you want to be. And I don't think that that's programmed within everybody. That's why it is an extreme sport. And, and I don't think that lots of people can do that.
0: In, in touching back on you, uh, so I forgot my question, then I remembered it. So <laughs> you were uh, talking about you know, trainer failure. And the big thing here is on like fatigue management and also, you know, we don't want to overtrain. So we keep some reps in the tank or um, however you're modulating that. Do you you feel that um, fatigue and overtraining is a little bit over um, spoken on? Like there's a, it's just not quite as present as what people are making out to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that obviously d and d is a, a very new term. I think it's something that everybody wants to talk about as if they know what it means. Whereas obviously if, if I go back to when I used to die, it literally just used to be, we're going to take it easy today or we're going to take it easy for the next couple of sessions because obviously you're a little bit tired. We need to give you a little bit of a break, et cetera. Whereas we, I could have probably used that term then, whereas obviously it's a very it's a very new term but I think that it is probably a bit overly spoken about and I think that I think it makes people a bit soft.
0: It's Okay. Um, Call them soft. I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 very to
0: the point. Uh, I like it. Yeah
1: no, say it, it is teachers <laughs> to be with me because of that but yeah I'm very to the point. I think that using terminology like that and people thinking that it's okay to take them I think it does make people soft it makes people think that yes I can take them there yes I can take them here etc when actually it's not very comfortable all the time to feel knackered and and I do think that for a lot of my time when I'm when I'm training and and when I'm eating and, and when I'm doing certain things I don't feel very comfortable I, I don't feel 100% fresh and I think that that is okay too and I think that people gotten a little bit soft in thinking that you've got to always feel fresh all the time
0: so are are you all kind of auto regulating when hey these the volume sessions happen or are they they planned out somewhat
1: they they are planned out but if something is needed or if something is not needed they are then auto regulated it's not kind of set in stone it's definitely not for me because For Kubey, yeah, because he's the type of person that would literally just not take one ever if 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 he wasn't made to. But I think that as your as as his coach, Luke, and as as his partner, it it's very evident to see when when it is because the mood changes. There, there's there's definitely a, a massive mood sh- mood change. Because I've been doing something like it for such a long time, I can feel that mood change coming within myself that I kind of know right okay perhaps next week is supposed to be my diet break deload week rest week whatever you want to call it i need to do it this week because if not i'm not going to be able to get to get to there or things are going to start regressing too much
0: it's it's pretty impressive like so i've had um just the other day renee like she's on prep right and she's like before your session you're like i don't know how i'm going to do this today like i I feel like you know everything's going to drop off then she just smashed it and like Progressive numbers you're like so you can be in a pretty fatigued state <laughs> and still like have a progressive session so yeah you, you know like you can go pretty far but yeah that's the first thing that i notice too is usually moods dropping down and there is yeah. there is a low i hate to say it but there's like a lower motivation to go train yeah i love I think, training but it's kind of there right
1: yeah i think it's lower motivation to do to do everything I, i'm yeah. like me i I, I don't find that when a deloads come in that progress in the gym tends to suffer so much because like here, that grit and determination to want to do it is there, but there's definitely just things probably around the gym that you started to sleep's a big one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sleep quality. I, yeah. I, think, I think too, Meg, like you could be in that state and you're like, Oh yeah, I progressed the lot, but, but you just, you just trained way harder than you normally would. So maybe it wasn't a real like profession, <laughs> right. I just tried harder, and I like went way past like you know point of no return for sets. Um, so maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that's part of it. Um, yeah. A female question for you, because mm-hmm. Luke and I were just we're putting together this female module, and you know, uh,
2: <laughs> so close. We, uh,
0: <laughs> well, well, some some people are put together female programs based around the menstrual cycle. Yeah. So like saying like, hey, beginner, beginning of the menstrual cycle, you have your best recovery. You can tolerate more volume towards the mm-hmm. end, right before you start your monthly bleed, There's a, yeah. a drop in, in recovery. And this yeah. is my, when you do your deloads. And now some people have blocks put together of like, you only train for three weeks, so you deload every fourth week. I'm like, well, that's crazy. You don't, you know, an, an actual application, I don't really see that from clients. So um, I wanted to ask you, Do you see that in all your female clients that there is any rationale of of, uh, having some type of session change around the menstrual cycle?
1: I tend to see a trend in the, and even myself, that sometimes I do tend to feel a little bit more tired. I almost get the symptoms of needing a D-volume when, the cycle coming close to my cycle comes but again I think it very much comes down to mentality um around that time and probably the experience level of the certain individual as well I definitely have all of my clients in it and myself in a very different kind of system I, I have ladies like what you just said that suffer that much perhaps with with cramps or tiredness or just that real fatigue around that it's just not worth doing actual sessions because there is literally no benefit that is coming from that but then I also find that females that have either been in sport for a very long time or have been bodybuilding for a very long time or just already have that kind of burning desire within them that they do have that they can actually push past that and still be okay. So I I do think it's very individual, but I I do think that the further along someone gets in their journey and the more, the the better they become at being able to deal with those symptoms and still being able to perform, the better things will be. It's like when when I was diving, that was never really a thing that was tracked by my coaches ever. And I always had to continue to, to train the way that I was doing at any time, whether I was pre-menstrual, during my cycle, per cycle, any time. So I think that for me personally, I never change anything because I've never had to or I've never been allowed to. So I don't think that I let my mindset change, if that makes sense at all.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And at least the females that I come across that, are very impacted around that time. It's usually like two or three days. And Mm -hmm. it can be usually like, hey, we pull back for those days. Um but it doesn't require like a whole week. Whole week. Yeah. 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 And 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 I would say like those females usually there's some other issue that needs to be addressed for it to be that extreme. Yeah, Um, I
1: agree. I I tend to find that it's the ladies with less iron naturally mm -hmm. that that tend to suffer the most also that that's what i found
0: interesting so they're they're like just more more anemic and have that feel that energy drop
2: more so yeah
1: yeah the because i I get i get regular blood work i get my clients to get regular blood work even the ones that are naturals and i tend to find that the ones that tend to suffer most are the ones that are sitting on the lower end of having their iron levels in a good place or are fully anemic
0: okay is is there anything else that you're seeing in your females' lab work that that are common standouts um, that might have them lack progress? Obviously, that's a that's a big question. I know hormones and everything aside, but not, <laughs> not not hormones. Let's not talk about hormones. But I don't know Any, anything else that, that are standouts to you. Hashimoto's.
1: Okay. I have so many female clients that have the hypothyroidism that I tend to find that. Because here in the UK, they're very sceptical to be able to do anything through the NHS that actually costs them any money,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: actually supporting them with thyroid medication because they try to go down the route of saying, well, if we put you on it now, it might make it worse or you might have to be on it forever. Well, yeah, if somebody has got a thyroid issue, unfortunately, they are going to have to be on medication forever. But I, I tend to find that that tends to inhibit progress a little bit through clients here in the uk just because they don't get that support and i'm not a doctor i can't tell them that that's what they need to take i can point them in the direction of yes that's what your blood work says you need to take it to your doctor and that's what you need to go down the route of but i do tend to find that that's another thing that that we see a lot of that all low test
0: yeah, I uh, agree. I think low tests is extremely, per, uh, like across the board, I see that more really common. And the autoimmune mm-hmm. issues are more common in females as well, like Hashimoto's, yep. so important to yeah. labs. And you said test, so now you open the door. Yeah, hormone, you <laughs> open
2: the <a> <laughs> door's box. Okay.
0: Uh, I, uh, yeah, it's, you brought it up, Meg, because once people see like progress like you made, they just jump to like, oh yeah, Meg just took more, more drugs. That's that... Was what she did. Um, I think a lot of times, as we get farther along, we realize how much more like every lever in bodybuilding we can apply with nutrition and training, and you know, you can you be using less or the same, right? Um, yeah. But you brought something up earlier about, hey, maintaining your fertility is important to you. Maintaining your voice is mm-hmm. important to you. What what's what does that mean to you as far as uh, how you you approach? your your clients or yourself as far as like everything goes to to make those goals happen for fertility later on so
1: i'll speak more so from from me individually so obviously i've been in sport for such a long time um obviously heavily dieted not even just through bodybuilding but through diving as well you have to stay in shape obviously that means or from the nutritionist that was supporting us at the time thought not lots and lots of food through that I've actually seen my testosterone decline quite drastically and then when I got very lean in in 2020 and probably a little bit too lean for for figure which was not very nice even throughout the off season when we brought calories up I I was still quite heavy we saw my testosterone dip very low and um, through that then obviously have chosen to go through the the realms of, of HRT obviously through regular blood, blood work etc I make sure that obviously my testosterone level stays in the same place obviously making sure that my progesterone, oestrogen, are also kept in a good range as well and making sure that the cycle obviously happens throughout the month that needs to through regular blood work and making sure that obviously my monthly cycle does happen. Obviously, when I'm in prep and as lean as what I am right now, the monthly cycle does disappear, which is obviously something that's not a positive. But unfortunately, as a bodybuilder, especially as a female, it's something that we do choose to risk that happening obviously around that try to make sure that things do stay in the in in the best place place possible so I think in terms of fertility and making sure that obviously things stay in the best place even through my HRT I make sure that my testosterone level doesn't sit above range for for kind of females so I always make sure that it does sit below kind of that the the higher upper end limit and but obviously it doesn't sit kind of lower end it's more mid-range to upper end even when I'm off my assistance cycle um, so that's kind of one way in which we've tried to mitigate me losing my monthly cycle or perhaps going into early menopause which is obviously something that I don't want to do but obviously as a female messing with your hormones through being a bodybuilder that's obviously something that we that we do risk with so that's what myself and Kuba do with me personally, just to try and make sure that obviously everything does stay in in active range. I know that my voice has gotten deeper since obviously I started bodybuilding. I started taking assistance back in 2018 at the back end of my um, bikini competition. I think it was three or four weeks prior to me getting my pro card is when I first ever went on to an assistance cycle. I always make sure that kind of, S- cycle-wise, it's only either two or three times per year, depending on whether I'm competing or not, that I actually go on to an actual cycle um, and don't really tend to go both 10 milligrams of whether that be Anavar or primobolum. So that's kind of how we manage things. And obviously through regular blood work, just try and make sure that my hormones are staying in the best possible place that, that they can. Even, even now being in prep and obviously losing my cycle, my blood work apart from my test being obviously sat above range at the moment, everything else was actually better at this time than it was at the start of prep. So as much as the testosterone issue is not obviously the best for normal life, obviously everything else is still
2: sat in, in an okay range. So have you, like, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's fine. I was going to say, have you had an opportunity to bounce back from a prep with HRT in play during a prep or is this the first one that you've done it?
1: Um no last so we started my HRT halfway through my my last um prep, prep. yeah so I started prep in the May and I think I started HRT in either the August or July um so I actually reversed out of the the last prep um with it but I actually found that my female cycle came back a lot quicker than but one thing that i will add and i will be completely honest with i was not very lean last year so i did lose my cycle for the for the last part but my condition wasn't enough in in my opinion it will be this year
2: <laughs> but so there's it, that that variable that probably allowed you to bounce back a bit quicker but yeah yeah
1: so i think that this time we will probably see how that has an impact on me regaining my cycle from being actual stage lean.
2: I think this is an integral part to that yearly progress we've seen over the last two years for you, because I see a lot of people who bounce back a lot quicker with the HRT in play from prep because they have that baseline hormonal environment kind of set while the body composition is coming up to allow them to get hopefully back to an ovulatory cycle, which is probably the gold standard of trying to keep fertility intact for these, you know, yeah.
1: yeah, definitely, yeah.
2: So some interesting things there,
0: there's a lot um, to pull away. For one, with, with HRT in place, like post-show, like estrogen has an appetite suppressing effect. Yeah. Um, so when you go into like amenorrhea and you're in that later prep phase, like it, it makes everything feel a lot harder. So for one, your preps would be more productive, but also in the post-show period, Um, you could have more success not having disordered eating. And I think that's one to take out of too, like with your eating patterns more stabilized and also not having body fat way overshoot, um, you'd also have an improved chance of having an ovulatory menstrual cycle, right? So you're able to get back to that healthy state to maintain fertility much better having for one HRT, but also just controlling eating better. Um, I think that's a big part of it. To clarify, Meg, you said 10 milligram of Anavar or Primo. So this would be if it's just people usually think like Primobolan as a weekly dose, right? So this would be like 10 makes seven days per week, so 70 milligrams of Primo per week, yeah, or 10 milligrams of Anavar per day, right? Yeah. Something like that. Okay, just just want to clarify.
1: Yeah, so. my, my first my first cycle, I think it was five milligrams of ANOVAR daily. And then as I moved into Figure, because obviously that was the, the next step in CERN and the next time I took an, an assisted cycle for that full year up until 2020, it was still ANOVAR that I took at 10 milligrams. And then it wasn't until the 2021 20, that then I moved over to Prima How come? <laughs> um, I wanted to try something different, I won't okay. I will be honest, um, I, will, I will be honest. It wasn't Cooper that pushed me towards, he, he was always very sceptical for me to want to take anything anyway. It was my choice initially, obviously then moving on to something like figure and going into the pro ranks, pretty much a given that you are going to have to take some assistance okay. to get, the, get a physique that could at least stand on a stage and not look pathetic even though mine has looked pathetic for the last two seasons, but that is what it is. I i wanted to take something different. I felt like I would probably get a little bit more from that scene, other people's progress with that assistance. And I don't know if I've seen anything different because I don't know because I've not taken the Anavar. I've definitely seen more sides using the Primo than I have from the Anavar.
0: Okay. Um Voice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Really. I guess that's the that is the, the question too. Like do you question the quality of what you're taking.
1: Probably. And,
0: and, and does that guide your decision in your females? Yeah. Like if like we we question the primo, but we we're more confident in the antiviral, Well, let's go antivar, like.
1: Yeah. Go yeah. With,
0: well, like an injectable is probably less risk than an oral. Yep. Yeah. Health-wise. However, the big risk for female is still virilization. And if your primo is not primo, that's a big problem, right?
1: Big yeah, problem. definitely. Definitely. And here in the UK, it's definitely easier to get solid primoboline than it is Anovar, in terms of honesty. Um, but have had some clients that have not done their research very well and ended up with tests rather than primo. So mm. that's when things have not obviously gone the way that they needed to, but you you have to do your research and make sure that you are getting it from a a reputable source
0: does that with so you you mentioned that so has that caused a barrier to entry for because i'm sure like when you have your your clients your female clients wanting to do you see their low testosterone in their labs and like hey you're going to keep competing test is only going to go down in contest prep um it's going to lead to suboptimal progress we should have trt in place right um, but then you have this thing of like, well, if your primo's making its test, you're going to get side effects. So there's a stigma, I think, around females using testosterone, um, yeah. when really this might be the first hormone to put in place for a female, not antiviral, maybe a low testosterone. Do you find it's a barrier for the females you work with to use like a TRT?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that I think you either get one or the other in terms of a female. I think you either get a female that doesn't care what happens or you get a female that wants to take that jump, but they're scared of what's going to happen. And because they hear so many scaremongering stories about injectables and what that's going to do to them. And, and it's going to make them masculine. They're going to look like a man, even though they don't understand how, how hard they would have to push for that to happen. I think, I think Trying to educate that it, it is 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 difficult without telling them because I think that sometimes especially as a coach i'm not I'm not a doctor i'm I'm not someone that's got a doctorate degree. I'm someone who is their coach that that can tell them, but at the end of the day it is always their choice. but I do think it is very hard for them to understand that that's probably something that they could go down the route of and probably see a lot more progress. Than and probably a lot less effects on their hormone panel than something such as a cycle of anivar or a cycle of Premier. It's definitely something that I wish that I would have known when I first started.
0: Yeah, because you have the female that they're now on 70 milligram anivar for X number of weeks, right? Yeah. What does that look like hormonally after? That's exactly. like, oh, you're probably back to low testosterone. I've seen females where their estrogen has crashed down to low. So then you have eight, 12 weeks of just a terrible hormone profile, then back to Anivar and it's this hormonal up and down versus you kept in this baseline of testosterone, and then maybe you're using all the other non-androgens as well to complement it. You end up with a, a more sustainable approach and less risk.
1: I think that because we've found that since last off season, that's why i didn't use anything really so much in my off season this time and i found that my hormone panel stayed very consistent progress was very good because there was less of the up and down there was no losing my cycle during my off season or anything like that through things like primo use etc
0: have there been other PEDs outside of you know anabolic steroids that were beneficial to your progress and, and
1: just like, I, talking I, like growth hormone yeah um, I, I, use, I use i use growth hormone we have tamisata metformin always in play um and that's it really i've okay. I've, I've, used, I've used npp before did not like it we will never
2: use it again <laughs> l-carnitine any injectable l-carnitine um
1: i did do but i don't like it because it hurts me <laughs>
2: <laughs> did, did you,
0: let me ask did you do it intramuscular or sub
1: intramuscular okay yeah
0: the, the, it, the, it just
1: it, it hurt too much so i didn't use it anymore <laughs> i was like did no it
0: burn like right away or was it the nodding like after
1: yeah i got like a numb feeling in in my glute and i just didn't like it so i just decided to to stop doing it
0: yeah.
1: that was just yeah. personal
0: preference. no rightfully so like it, it kind of beats me up too yeah no sometimes
1: thing. going into a session and feeling like you've got a numb leg or <laughs> like oh no this is not the one for me so yeah we we used that for a little bit of time but but not anymore now
2: yeah
0: well um that covered a lot those uh, nutrition training yeah. pds was was there anything else that was standout Meg? um that you want to add on that we didn't like we didn't talk about for your progress recovery okay
2: talk to us like (laughs) like the tissue work y'all have every week and that kind of stuff yeah
1: yeah yeah well i didn't actually ever used to do that because the guy who comes to massage kuba doesn't actually massage females he only massages males so i've never had body work until this off season and the difference that it's actually made to my recovery has been ridiculous so I think making sure that you are on top of your recovery, if you can't afford things like massages and, and going to the sauna and, and, and whatnot, making sure that at least you do your mobility, having Epsom salt baths, making sure that your sleep's on point, making sure that your routine is, is, is pristine. Even if you work different shift works, you can have a routine for each different shift that you do so that you can have a solid routine. I think that it just makes a world of difference to, your mindset and the progress that you can, you can make through having that more positive mindset around your training, nutrition, everything.
0: What do you notice from the massage work specifically? I know we say kind of recovery in general, but what does, what does that mean to you? you? What do you feel or notice?
1: When, when I used to train, I felt like I was tight all the time. I felt like when I was trying to get into certain positions and certain movements that things hurt a lot I struggle really bad with my knees I've got really bad tendinopathy I can't say tendinopathy on yeah. both my knees from dislocating them and, and my shoulders a few times when when I was diving so actually having body work to make sure that the muscles that are obviously overcomp- overcompensating for the areas that are a little bit weak I find that it's helped them to fire a little bit more that perhaps maybe has allowed them to then grow a little bit more as well. But kind of the the reduction in pain whilst I've trained because of that has been crazy.
0: Yeah, I know some people kind of knock a massage, like it it just relaxes you and that's the only benefit. And, and maybe that's enough of a benefit alone, um, but also, yeah, I mean, usually after I get a massage and then go train, I usually have better access movements yeah. and then through that access you can strengthen those ranges that you weren't even able to get into before yeah. um I... would, would you say so
1: yeah 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 totally. yeah
0: and, and uh you know i think like you said if you can't afford it um hell get a massage gun you know like Oops, or, foam, or foam yeah. roll or something right that could that could work and suffice
1: yeah yeah do some stretching something ability pre-person session it's it's amazing it's good makes you feel great
0: well meg this has been very insightful people have some great takeaways from this Um, thank you very much for coming on no problem if people want to reach out to you for coaching or follow more of your journey where are you most active on
1: i would definitely say instagram so if you hit me up on instagram i'm meg alicia sylvester on there so definitely just either drop me a dm or there's a, an email link there as well
0: cool and then you log on jp too
1: right i do yeah yeah everything login daily forum daily so any questions that you have and if you are a member on there definitely add them to there too
0: very cool well that is it for everyone tuning in we appreciate y'all listening And we will talk to you next time. Thank you.